0: Hello.
1: Hello. All right. Good deal. Hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Nothing like starting the call by coughing in your ears. That sounds sexy. <laughs> e- you know, I gotta go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> ah.
1: How was everybody's New Year? New
2: years good.
3: Uh, pretty, pretty low key. Um, we, uh, we ended up not, but you know, it's hard to get a sitter when you got, uh, you got three little ones under the, uh, you know, four and under. So well, your, your, your littlest is very little, right? Yeah. She's, she's going to be seven months, uh, on Friday.
1: Yeah. I have a, I have a grand nephew now who is, uh, <laughs> just six and a half months old. So right in the same age range. And, uh, you know, I forget my kids are 16 and 13, so I, I forget, what it's like when they're not little, but they, they are tires tiring and difficult, but they are a lot of fun.
2: <laughs> See, I've got a 16-year-old, but he's stuck watching nothing but college bowl games, and since they never stop, he's actually wearing a diaper now.
1: <laughs> so. It's got to be hard to find one for a kid that
2: age. I mean, there's a yeah, well, you know, the diaper, but they're a little big. Well, my old college roommate liked a 10s, so I, I use those for him. So, <laughs> Oh,
4: yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, I've actually I've been I've been uh, I've been very pleased with myself. I got I've been I've been kind of slowly losing interest in college football over the last couple of years, and and Clemson screwing the pooch twice this year just finally just put the final nail in it, and I've actually gone this entire bowl season without watching a second of college football. I'm actually very wow. Happy. <laughs> wow. I've watched, I've, I've, well, you know, I grew up in New York, and I, I tell people I'm here in South Carolina all the time. You know, when I, when I grew up, you know, football is played on Sunday and then sometimes Monday. Mm-hmm. Football wasn't played <laughs> on Saturday. Saturday was a warm-up act, you know. Mm. So it's like I've always been a big NFL fan, and and I've been you know the NFL this year having all those divisional games at the end was a, was a you had to watch. see what was going everything was going to fall out, mm. and so I, I say that you know down here, and people look at me like you got three heads. And it's like oh yeah. No, no, it's, it's, they're honest to God. They're, they're the NFL's better product. No, it's not. Shut
4: up. You dumb Yankee. <laughs> Ow.
1: Back to the bins
3: Uh, you Very know, I was when I was growing up. If one one of the absolute worst things you could do in my house as a kid is spoil a movie for someone, <laughs> I, heard distinctly, the first time I watched The Terminator, I had to be about I don't know six or so, God, and, uh, and my <laughs> my well my my brother and my dad had seen it, and so I'm watching it, and right when you know they they crash the uh, the semi truck and it's all in flames and everything. go, man, he's dead now. My brother goes, "No, he's not." And my dad unloaded on him. <laughs> you would have you would have thought that my 8-year-old brother had had dropped the F bomb in the middle of the living room the way my dad laid into him about spoiling the movie. Go, Mr. Jack and Eddie.
1: Yeah, that's what I say. Good for your dad. Yeah,
3: absolutely.
1: Oh, oh, it was just like
3: ah, uh, I mean, you you yeah, I keep my mouth shut about movies. I don't care if I know the whole thing. It's just no. I'm <laughs> I'll always heard my dad screaming, My brother's stupid.
2: <laughs> my wife is a, a wonderful woman, but she, when she walks in, she doesn't have any sense of storytelling or reveals. So she'll walk in and go, Oh, is that the one where he's actually a ghost? Oh, well, don't need to watch that now. Thanks. I'm done. <laughs>
1: oh, well. Well, you know, you know. I, I do find that a lot of people don't have. I, I and you know I I understood the whole geek mentality with comics and science fiction and all that. But it, but it goes beyond that because I find that a lot of people don't even have the appreciation of just film in general,
2: mm-hmm. the way that we do. No, oh, yeah. I think you're right because they got outside and played.
1: Yes, <laughs> I, I don't. You know, <laughs> to, to me, going to the movie theater has always been a huge thrill since I was a yes. little kid. I always, you know, I, I always love to just go and watch movies at the theater for the most part. And there are a couple of exceptions to this rule. For the most part, there are very few movies that I have seen in a theater that I didn't have some level of appreciation for.
2: And you know what's, you know what's funny about that is, and that may be something, there may be some tie in there. Because when I was a kid, my mom, every, not every single, but nearly every single Saturday made sure I went to the movies. And she said, you know, she always loved the movies, but she grew up poor and on a farm and she just could not go to the movies ever. Mm. And so she all every weekend, she's pick something out. You're going to go to the movies. And I I mean, I saw more stuff than you would ever imagine just because she made sure I got to go to the movies a lot.
1: And my other thing is I saw movies that were probably age inappropriate for me. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they are some of my favorite movies ever.
2: See, that uh, I didn't get to do. In
1: 1971, so I would have been not quite nine years old, my dad took me to see Dirty Harry. Mm. <laughs> in 1972, my mom took me to see The Godfather Part Two, or 1973, whenever it was that it came out.
0: 74.
1: 74, excuse me. So oh, I was not okay. quite 12. And I, and, I, and I went to see The Godfather Part II in the theater, and there were a few others along those lines, but those are two of my all-time favorites.
3: A story I've told on The Vault is that right around my seventh birthday, I'm not sure if it was before or after, because my birthday's in June, and this was in the summer of, of 87, we went to a, 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 a we went to see Predator, and on the sneak preview was RoboCop. <laughs> so at, at, at six or seven years old, I watched Jeez. Predator. RoboCop. I had the RoboCop one sheet on my door for for fifteen years. After that, oh, that grief. that movie shaped so much of of me, my interests as an as a grown up, you know. And seeing it, but seeing it when you're about to turn seven, you know, all the all the uh, subtext flies right over your head. It's just, oh my god, you know? yeah.
1: just ran over by a truck and exploded. <laughs> it's it's absolutely not an appropriate movie for a six year old. <laughs> Oh, no. but and, I can see where I would have loved it at six years old just like when I saw
3: Aliens in the theater when I was uh, six you know and I remember my mom being so pissed at my dad <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't ruin the ending for you
1: no he did not He would... <laughs> we went in cold so. I'm one of my all time favorites it was age appropriate but in 1968 so I would have been like five years old uh, my dad took me to see Planet of the Apes uh, and to this day, that's one you know. That whole series is just gold, as far as I'm concerned, and I'm psyched that there's a new one coming out. Mm. Only uh, thing
3: disappointing about the new one: Paul Williams is not in it. So,
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
4: nor, is no. <laughs> nor is John Landis. No, nor is John
1: Landis. No.
3: I love the. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big Paul Williams fan, which is which is odd again because I was born in 1980, so it's a little after his peak. But uh I, I I there's a great documentary out there called Paul Williams Still Alive, where this filmmaker yes. basically follows Paul Williams around for a couple of years because he thought he was dead and yeah. found out he was alive. So they have all this archival footage including him on I don't remember if it was on Carson or one of the other late night yes. shows he's he's in his it full he's in his full Virgil makeup. Yep. And the line is this is what happens when you spend six months drinking nothing but banana daiquiris.
1: <laughs> you need a rim shot after that yeah uh did they, they show any of his odd couple uh appearance because that's one of my favorite paul williams they,
3: was everything like little bits and pieces of everything because he had kept videotapes of all of his tv appearances and such so uh, it, there's a there's a lot of crazy stuff in there now, the, the, couple's, Burdett,
1: buddy. the odd couple is my all-time favorite sitcom yeah and uh his his, scene, his show on that one is just to me it's hilarious because they present him as this teen idol that Felix's <laughs> daughter you know has to go <laughs> see and wants to follow around the country and I'm not sure that anybody felt that way about Paul Williams <laughs> as a <the> singer. <same. laughs>
3: hey, I got a I got an absolute thrill uh, earlier this year when um, it was it was something because of I think Streisand was gonna sing the way we were at the Oscars or something like that. Uh, or something like that. And they so they had the picture on the front on the Drudge Report of Streisand getting the Oscar. And who's there right with her? Is Paul Williams. I was like, holy shit, Paul Williams is on the front of the Drudge Report. This is the greatest <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> I tweeted
1: him because <laughs> I follow him on Twitter. <laughs> like, that, oh, did you oh, respond responded all in a No, he's dead. Oh no. No, he's no. dead. Oh, he, no. No, he's <laughs> dead. <laughs> what are you talking about? No, oh, he, he didn't re- mess with me, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I love fan i got so fan in the public eye that he gets so many tweets that he wouldn't you know that it would be automatic that he wouldn't respond i would think there's a chance he would
3: well he he he's pretty active but he does a lot of stuff with his because he's the uh the president
2: of oh i forget the name but it's a good, oh, it's, it's like it's either ascap or bmi isn't it ascap yeah
3: yeah really? Or he's a president emeritus or something like that. So a lot of his stuff deals with that and his charity work that he, you know, it's like it's like I follow Sir Roger Moore and all he tweets about is the stuff he does for UNICEF, which is cool. But I keep like tweeting lines from Moonraker at him and he won't respond. I don't I don't know what the deal is with that. Probably so, oh, doesn't you know. know what they are.
1: What the hell does he keep saying? <laughs> from what I understand, he's he's still very sharp. That's what I hear at least.
3: Yeah, hmm. yeah, I've heard that too. He, his physically, he's not as uh, spry anymore, but. Well, he's got to be 85 years old. I should be as good looking when I'm 85 years old.
1: I should be as good looking at 51. (laughs) And I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let me bring us in and then uh, then we'll get started. All right. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I am Paul Spitaro, and I am joined today by Scott... Rifen.
2: You know, I'm just going to start going by my last name. It would help, because there are just too many Scots already.
1: Well, at the at the rate you're on now, this is your second back to the bins, so you're on almost as frequently as Scott Gardner.
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm on a little bit more than Scott Gardner.
1: <laughs> but uh, it's good to have you on again, buddy.
2: It is, it is incredible to be on, and uh, I appreciate the invitation.
1: Well, thanks for coming on. And we have... Uh, the first time I'm back to the bins with me, but not his first back to the bins appearance. Mister Luke Giaconetti.
3: Hey, how we doing, guys?
1: Doing great. How you doing?
3: I'm doing just fine. It's great to be on Back to the Bins where I have someone else to talk to.
1: Yeah, your, your only episodes were the ones that you uh, you stepped in and, and pinch hit, right?
3: Yep. Yeah, I did. I did three of those, and uh, it's 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 you know it's not so much fun talking about random back issues just to yourself. But uh, I do my show by myself anyway, so it's kind of a old hat for me, I guess. I nice. guess I,
1: I I'm at least to this point I'm not capable of doing a show and carrying it by myself. The editing would become
2: onerous because
1: I would just start, you know, just stammering like I am right now.
2: In fact, and you'd uh, be surprised at what you can do when you have to do it.
1: I guess, but I don't have to because I could always talk one of you mokes into. <laughs> <laughs> I I've, I sometimes though I feel like. Uh, Even in discussing stuff with you guys or with Bill and Scott or whoever, as a topic goes on, you can gauge a little bit from the response that you get from the co-host, and sometimes you see, all right, this is a topic that's worth delving into further, and sometimes you see, all right, this one's not going anywhere, and let me just kill this, whereas if you didn't have that – that ability to bounce it off someone you might just totally go awry on on your own and uh you know for the most part the 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 solo episodes i listen to that doesn't happen but i would be afraid that i would be the one to innovate and do that
2: (laughs) well sometimes even with a group you just you don't even have that sense you know i i told you the other day about that dinner for geeks episode where i i went on a probably 10 to 15 minute rant about brian michael bendis that nobody participated in and i (laughs) And I kept thinking at some point they're going to jump in. Right. And they didn't. So and then I and then I thought, well, I can cut it into something good. Right. (laughs) And uh, ultimately it it wound up on the floor because it just there was just nothing happening with it. So, I mean, it it happens. Well, just out of pure
1: curiosity, uh, in a a very brief synopsis, what was the what was the the crux of the rant?
2: Oh, I had just finished reading his uh, Epic Landmark Daredevil run and found it less than Epic or Landmark. So, Okay.
1: Uh, well, I, I would say without knowing exactly where you went with it that I found his Daredevil run to be a little bit derivative of what went before it. Mm-hmm. I didn't find well, it to be Landmark because I found it to be a little bit repetitive
2: almost. It was a lot repetitive and it was also full of bendicisms. Well, let's extend this book. I know, but I know, but it just, when you hear that something is a, a modern classic and you read it and you go, this is the same crap he always does, it was a little frustrating. See, I, th- I thought it was okay. Yeah. But, but overrated. It wasn't that well, it was bad. I thought it was overrated. There's a thing he does that drives me crazy. If it's a five issue story arc, then there will be four interesting things that happen in the first four issues, and then it just all blows up in the fifth issue as if you know, he just can't pace the story. He can't pace the story. No. And it drives me nuts. It's like, okay, one thing happened here, one thing happened here, one thing happened here. Then it all blew up and it went away. <laughs> I hate that. The of, I, was gonna say, I can
3: count on one hand the number of Daredevil comics I've read in my lifetime. Mm. So uh, I, I may, maybe I wouldn't find it derivative. But then again, it's Ryan Michael Bendis. And I always write his name out as fucking Bendis, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, probably not a good fit
2: for me either. <laughs> no, it's, it, it's the same rhythm that he tells it, every other story with.
1: Well, I, I found he hit, in my opinion, an all-time low with his recent Age of Ultron story. I think that's yeah. the, possibly the worst Brian Michael Bendis story I've ever read.
2: I have not read any recent Marvel stuff yeah, the yeah. only the only Marvel I read is
3: Iron Man. You know, big shock. You know,
4: uh, <laughs> oh really? And I, and like I've been Iron reading Man. That
3: <laughs> since I was a, you know in high school, and that's I've got a book here, a book there, but they always cancel my books really quickly, and usually without any fanfare. I'm mm-hmm. looking at Morbius specifically,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and uh, I, I went back at, when when Morbius was canceled. I did a little research, and I I went back and I counted Marvel books that I had started reading. Since I I started living in my in in Greenville in upstate South Carolina, of how many books I was reading of theirs that they canceled within two years, it was something like twenty five books. So it's like <laughs> wow, they 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 like just teasing me just enough to screw me out of two years worth of money.
2: Hey, and, and got then cancel the you.
3: book and have all of it get thrown away and not matter.
2: Ugh.
1: And and most of the and and only reason I did two years. Hello. Hello. Something just happened in Luke cut out, I think. We lost Luke. It says, there's a problem with this call. Hold on while we try to get the
2: call back. Hmm. So here's where you bring out Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass.
1: Uh, no, with, with <laughs> our show. No, no, no. With our show, the, uh, please stand by music is the girl from Ipanema.
2: Oh, that's right. That's right. You're absolutely right.
1: Not, not the, uh, what is it? The, uh, the flea, uh. What's Herb Alberts? Something Flea.
2: Spanish Flea, I think. Isn't it? I'm not sure now. I think it's Spanish Flea. I used to play it in my early, early days (laughs) of the radio. I used to play that with great frequency. Yeah, Spanish Flea. That's right. And somebody on YouTube has made a one-hour cut of that. Really? Yeah. Because that's what you need. Alright, so we just uh we're trying to try and reestablish or do you just have yeah, to sit I'm, I'm gonna
1: try and call him again and it's reaching out to him as we speak. And it says busy.
4: Mm.
2: He may still be talking. <laughs> he may never <laughs> he stop. Just, <laughs> he may just And then and he's like, Well they're they're being quiet, they must want me to continue. Oh, he's back. Oh, is he back? Oh. Yep, sorry
1: about that. A lot of interference, and it's gone. Okay, are you still with us? Yes, sir. Okay, did you? uh, At what point did uh, did Luke disappear?
2: He was. uh, We were in the middle of a discussion of the Marvel books that have been canceled within two Two, years. Right. Since he'd moved to upstate South Carolina. Yeah, there were twenty-something books. We got Yeah, something
3: like that. And uh, you know, all I'm saying is that the only reason why I say two years. It's <clears throat> because uh, Claremont managed to get New Excalibur to run for for twenty four issues before they canned, them, whereas
2: all the others were basically a year to eighteen months before they canned them. Jeez. Hey, yeah. you know what? Marvel. Did you see this? Marvel has decided that they're not going to sell at uh, they're not going to sell periodicals anymore, which is you know individual issues at Barnes and Noble or Books a Million anymore.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Which well,
1: I assume that's that that. Is a very small percentage of their distribution,
2: though. But it was the only access I had locally to Periodical Marvels. <laughs> so. Well, there's always digital. Yeah, I know. That's, I'm going to have to go be forced to go there or all trades. But our comic shop here closed six or seven years ago. And that was so I've either got to drive an hour or, you know, I, I'm just the big thing is I buy Star Wars. That's the big thing I buy regularly all the time, every time. And so when Dark Horse decides they're not doing that, then I'm in big trouble.
1: Well, that's when you have to start going to a uh, an online retailer.
2: Yeah, just I really, there's yeah. something about going and grabbing it off the rack.
1: Well, there's something about buying it online and getting it for half price, though. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. Because <laughs> books are, are just right And then you now, have to avoid spoilers for a month or sure. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a factor, but it it could be done. It's not. I don't think. I don't think the spoilers on the Star Wars books are that out there. That you know no. that hard to avoid. No. Mm-hmm. So, mm. to me, it, it it's worth waiting, and at least I understand with those online subscription services, you can get them delivered as frequently as you want. You can get delivery once a week if you want to pay the postage for once a week, and and then you'd have it, you know, basically when it's still new.
3: Yeah, that, that, I use um, a DCBS, and and they can do that. I, I get mine shipped once a month, but you can pay for shipping pretty much as often as you want. So
1: I'm going to go for daily. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to buy like... 30 to 31 books a month, and I want them shipped daily.
2: <laughs> <laughs> See if you can get them to ship them a panel at a time, if you would. <laughs> Just... <laughs> There's something to be said for that. <laughs> It'll be exciting, yeah, always a get, cliffhanger, yeah, so
3: you get it three panels at a time it's like a it's like a newspaper strip,
1: yeah, exactly well <laughs> when you think about, when you talk about pacing, there's a whole to me an incredibly difficult art to that mm-hmm. to actually keep something interesting with doing three panels a day and have the story be something that the reader can follow and yet still have it be interesting, yeah, enough to keep coming back and reading well, it. And
2: it's not just that, it's that you have to, you literally have to spend the first part of the strip recapping, and then you spend the middle part of the strip moving forward, and then you have to do your cliffhanger at the end. Yeah. I mean, there's a formula to it. (laughs) And when you have that little space, and every day you've got to recap, because you know everybody's not reading everything every single day. Some people are just uh, reading Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Whole different beast. Yeah, that's usually why your sun on your on an adventure
3: strip. <clears throat> excuse me. Usually your Sunday is not tied to your daily strip storyline. No. Yeah, if you. I I read Lee Fox the Phantom for quite a while, and <laughs> you know the the Sundays are their own storyline, and then the dailies were their their own thing. I can't think of any that they usually just, they just don't cross over because there'd always be papers that would only carry it on Sunday. Yep. and and carry the weekly that kind of thing.
1: I have a book downstairs that I, I I haven't gotten to it yet, and I really haven't even looked through it. But one time when I was in Barnes & Noble, it was in the uh, discounted books, and it's the old Superman newspaper strips. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I need to sit down and read through that one day, because I bet you that's gonna, that would be fun.
2: Yeah, those are yeah. actually uh, Jack McDevitt, whose name will come up later in this, uh, actually lent me some old Batmans and some old Supermans, those, some of those collections.
1: And some Punishes.
2: And said gave can't be punishers, I don't. <laughs> Still not sure why that happened. Gathered together from the disparate breaches of geekdom, here in this restaurant booth are the most powerful forces of geek ever assembled. Toy Geek, Scott, the award-winning
4: radio host, Jeff, Scott's
2: Minion, and Ron, just Ron, dedicated to truth, justice, and geek for all mankind, it's dinner for geeks. Dinner for Geeks, proudly crusades at 2TrueFreaks.com. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which, up until a few days ago, was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which, at this very moment, still prevails and could, at
0: any time, lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world.
3: If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at two 2truefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality.
1: And we're back. All right, today, who's got the Marvel, yeah. guys?
2: You've got the. Come Marvel. on, who's got it? You've Somebody got mess
1: it. up. You. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Oh, I have the Marvel. Never mind. Uh, I don't even remember what book I picked, Scott. I know you know I I had communicated to you I would picked some book and I hated it, and, and I just oh, yeah. I I, I just started to read it and I didn't like it and I I just didn't want to do it. So I've been reading lately. Uh, in in line with uh, the Avengers Spotlight series, I started reading the Avengers from the beginning, and I'm up to, uh, basically to make Scott uh, Gardner happy, I'm up to the Celestial Madonna (laughs) storyline. And there's a point in that where uh, it interacts, where where Captain America comes in and says something about there's some murder charges against him, but don't worry, I was framed, and I'm taking care of it, and then he leaves. And so I detoured off, and I decided to read that storyline, which was Basically, the story in Cap when I first started collecting comics.
2: Mm. Uh, so, I was in- wondering why the issue came on stone tablets. <laughs> they brought it down from mount- from the mountain. Uh,
3: <laughs> See, Cap Cap makes a very good decision there. He leaves the Celestial Madonna saga and doesn't come
1: back. Is- <laughs> I like the Celestial Madonna st- saga, but that's a story for another day when we get Scott Gordon to cover it. But uh, this this is the whole uh, Secret Empire storyline with Cap. And I decided to replace the book that I had that I didn't like with just happened to be the most recent one I read in that storyline, which is Captain America and the Falcon number 170, which was released in February of 1974, and it had a cover price of 20 cents. Now, the first issue I bought when I started collecting comics of Captain America was number 175. So I joined right in, right at the end, excuse me, 173, not 175. So I, I got in just a couple of months later cover of the story is by the great Gil Kane and inked by the great John Romita, Sr. And we see a beaten cap down on his knees being handcuffed by the police as he's being towered over by Moonstone. And that's not the current-day Moonstone that we know the female uh, Carlos Safin, uh, but a burly man with a very similar costume. And I love the perspective of the story, of this, the shot because it's kind of taken at street level, looking upwards, giving Moonstone this sense of power and menace as he stands over Cap, who's down on his hands and knees. And the story is titled J'accuse. You always have to say that with a real, uh, real energy level, I think. It's written by Mike Friedrich, plotted by Steve Englehart, drawn by Sal Buscema, the very underrated Sal Buscema, inked by Vin Coletta, uh, lettering is by Artie Simic, and coloring by Petra Goldberg. The editor was Roy Thomas. The story opens with a splash page of Cap standing front and center, and his hands are, and there's a bunch of hands pointed towards him, with the word murder being said over and over again. The action picks up where the last issue had left off, and at that point there was a public campaign to discredit Cap, and he fought a low-level criminal known as the Tumbler, And as he did, Moonstone, who was off, unseen, hidden, uh, killed the Tumbler with a laser beam, but it looks to the world that Cap murdered him. And so this guy named Quentin Hardiman, who was the man behind the smear campaign, he's on hand and immediately starts feeding the effort to discredit Cap. The police come and Cap is conflicted, but runs off to try and clear his name. He stops to catch his breath and is quickly attacked by Moonstone. It quickly becomes apparent that Moonstone is stronger than Cap, can take a punch very well, and has other powers such as teleportation and shooting lasers from his fingertips. He bests Cap, and Hardiman is quickly on the scene to declare Moonstone to be the new champion of the people. At this point we take a break to join the Falcon, who along with his girlfriend Lila, is in Wakanda, seeking help from the Black Panther for an artificial power boost since he'd been feeling kind of ineffective uh, when he was fighting alongside Cap Lila is impatient and rude so the Panther has a handmaiden take her on a tour she quickly insults the handmaiden by trying to talk superhero sex with her anyway back to our main story Cap wakes up in a jail cell where Moonstone is standing right outside holding a press conference which seems really weird that the press conference would be like in the hallway outside the jail cell he tells the That's press a story Generally, I don't think you You stand there basically taunting the guy you just arrested by by holding a press conference feet away from his bars.
2: See, you don't do criminal law, obviously.
1: (laughs) No, I do not. But if I did, I probably would taunt them by holding press conferences. (laughs) Anyway, Moonstone tells the press... That, a, a story about how he worked as a janitor in a university and how a moonstone, which interestingly is from the blue area of the moon where the watcher hangs out, and it, that, that moonstone started to glow and shattered bonding with him and giving him his powers but it's done pretty well because while that narration is going on the photos and the, and, and the story is actually showing us what really happened, where he was trying to steal the moonstone and was confronted by the police and he killed one of them by hitting him with some tools and the other one shot at him but hit the moonstone which caused it to merge with him and gave him his powers anyway we go back to Wakanda where the Falcon and the panther are working as they do a spear is thrown at them by Fal- the Falcons a- of a girlfriend uh, because she's bored yeah. and he ought to Hank pim her ass <laughs> in, in, instead the panther agrees to send her somewhere for her enjoyment and so he t- he he sends a Wakandan jet to Lagos, Nigeria, and she's shopping in the street market when she's seen by a Harlem gangster named Stoneface, who has his bot who has her bodyguards killed and takes her away. Way to go, Lila. <laughs> Back in Wakanda, they realize that something's wrong when they can't make contact with the escorts, and the Panther and Falcon get ready to go. We're told that their project has been made has been to make jet-powered glider wings for the falcon, which are linked to his brain. And there's a kind of a splash page where he comes out wearing them for the first time. The final scene is of Cap in a jail cell, and some uniformed men burst through the wall, saying that they're supporters of his, and they're there to bust him out. Cap is thinking again about how conflicted he is and trying to decide whether he should stay or go, and the caption at the bottom tells us, Next, the choice. And that's the end of our story. And as I started to say, when I started doing this one, this this is right at the beginning of my coming into comics as a collector. And you know, sometimes I I, I have a tough time deciding if it's nostalgia or if it's real quality. But I love this whole storyline. I think this thing is awesome. Yeah,
3: I've, I've I have a lot of this in Marvel's been collecting these and some of the stuff after this, like when Jack Kirby came on the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, been collecting those in trade and i picked a lot of those up but i haven't actually read them i thought this was a lot of fun Uh, i'm a big fan of this era for marvel specifically in books like iron man and uh luke cage so getting this kind of you know real solid bronze age stuff was a lot of fun and uh yeah when i saw this i'm like oh yeah this is good this will fit right in maybe this actually be an impetus for me to read this stuff that's been sitting in my bonus room for a year
1: Oh yeah, if you if you have this run of comics, I would and and you do have an appreciation for the bronze age storytelling, I would definitely recommend that you yep. dive right into this cuz I think it's right up that alley. One of my absolute favorite bronze age
3: tropes is on display in this book where on the cover Moonstone is wearing orange and purple, but then in the book he's wearing blue. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Like, oh, it looks better in blue and purple. Blue and blue, let's do that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, in the, in the book, it's it's blue, but I think it's supposed to be silver.
3: Yeah, it, I could see that. I what also like. Blue.
1: Well, I think it's kind of like when when they put blue in the in somebody's hair, to, but they really have black hair.
2: Yeah. It's just
1: supposed to be kind of the way the light is shining off of it.
2: Yeah, Darth Vader was always blue in Star Wars, except for when he was green. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I'm not really sure I could explain the green
2: I think the, I think it was the same approach but they just hadn't figured out how they wanted to highlight him yet or Batman being I mean Batman became blue because he was toned as blue so often you know it was supposed to be black with they highlight well we'll do the blue highlight and he just kind of it became so standard he became blue right mm-hmm. this yeah, cow I,
1: I believe that is exactly what happened
2: yeah, yeah. so yeah, let me ask you this uh, I got bothered by the whole thing. I, I, I get frustrated when every single, especially when something like this, that's pushed to kids and every single person who's actually interested in making money is evil because they like to make money.
1: Yeah. I don't like that either.
2: <laughs> so that drove me nuts. But let me ask you the, the guys who busted, cause I have not read this run. I've read starting at mad bomb. I read the Kirby run, which is deliriously loopy, silly fun. Oh, absolutely. Uh, These guys who are breaking Cap out of the prison at the end, are they all paste Pot Pete? (laughs) Because that's who they look like.
1: Well, without spoiling too far ahead, uh, the guys who are breaking him out are actually also sent there by the Secret Empire in an effort to further discredit him. Ah. And then what happens is they get very violent with the prison guards who come and then cap starts to try and protect the prison guards and goes against these guys anyway
2: okay Mm. so cap okay but he doesn't just go no thanks guys i'll just sit here and then they spend the rest of the time just sitting in the cell
1: (laughs) and and why is it that his cell happens to be at street level with just a wall between him and the street nobody's got a cell that's actually like in the interior of the prison no, no, there are no interior cells on prisons.
3: Everybody knows that they all they all let out right onto the street with just one wall between them, I and mean, there's no security on the other side of that wall.
1: I'm okay with that trope when it's, you know... Old uh, West? When, when Gary Cooper is the sheriff, and, and he brings you into the little jailhouse, and, and there's one cell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know well, what? When, when it's supposed to be in New York City, I don't really see this happening.
2: Well, don't they have... I mean... They've got all of these super guy prisons, and all of a sudden they put Cap. Ah, eh, we'll put the super guy in the regular prison. It's okay.
1: <laughs> well, at at the time when this came out, they didn't have the raft or uh, what are the other the vault, the vault, the vault. Yeah, the, those things didn't exist in the storytelling back then. In, yeah, I, and I, I... in fact, uh, they they also would uh, they'd imprison you and they'd let you keep your supervillain uniform. Keep, well, keep <laughs> they still do
3: that. You know, we we were we were ranting about. Brian Michael Bendis before, never made sense to me. First issue of new, of new Avengers. They're on the raft. Everybody's breaking out. They all have their masks on. Well, yeah. <laughs> How else are we going to know who the hell they are? Because
2: <laughs> yeah, we can't put captions to tell people who they are. That would be stupid. You know, the, <laughs> <laughs> the movies are constantly trying to keep people out of their masks. <laughs> and the comic books <laughs> won't let them take the damn things off. It, there's there's
1: a scene in, the, in this issue where you see uh, that this... This guy, uh, Hardiman, who's uh, running the campaign against Cap, in a flashback, he's, he's working with the criminal, the Viper, who had a green bodysuit and then a, a mask that covered his mouth and basically made him look snake-like, which is exactly what he's supposed to be. But there's a scene later, I guess two issues later or so, where they cut to him in prison and he's wearing you know, the prison uniform, but underneath the prison uniform, he still has the green Viper costume on <laughs> and the mask. <laughs> oh... He's very I, I, attached to it. Yeah, I, I
3: do like in the flashback. We find out that, or we see that, Hardiman's group is called the Committee to Regain America's Principles, which is yes. crap. Cra- yes, yes.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I love that. Yes. I, yeah, this. Um, I mean, this this is so, in many ways, so prototypical Bronze Age. I mean, from the the, the pacing of the story, the conflicted emotions, the uh, the the really sketchy dialogue from Falcon's uh, insane girlfriend. You know? <laughs> yeah, what
1: a what a bitch.
3: I mean, it's Christ. I mean, it's well, like you're you're <laughs> you're running around with Captain America. You can't find a, a another chick to hang on your arm other than
1: this loon, this nut job. Not only but, that, but in some issues, he's he's actually competing for her affections with this guy named Rafe, who's basically like a pimp. Let her go, dude. Just cut bait, man. But they keep rewarding her behavior. Yeah, let me send you. With of some course, she's and get like them that. killed because you're such a. What was uh? What was uh, what Andy Leyland said? Because you're such a. See you next Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I and, and
3: and this this was a bit odd to me because I I first became familiar with the Falcon from his Secret Wars toy, which had the little wings on the back that you could fold up. Now his arms couldn't move in the same way as the wings, so it was kind of a, a messed up effect, but. I, I, did the Falcon, what did he do before he had wings? Did he just stick uh, his, his bird on people?
1: Yeah, pretty much. He was an acrobat. He he had like this thin little string and he would swing from like rooftop to rooftop using the string, but how he would get it detached from the the building he had just swung from so that he could use it on the next building,
2: I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> that was just like dental floss. You cut it off and you got more in there. Okay, that was. I thought that was really neat. Just this, this
3: you know, getting to see Falcon get his wings, especially since you know we just uh, we're going to get a that on the big screen in the, this year, mm-hmm. as, yeah. in the commercial for uh, Cap Winter Winter Soldier. So I thought that was pretty neat. And I, and I like the Falcon. I think he's he's uh, kind of a he's a character that when when he gets used a lot of times he's used just kind of as fodder or uh, hey you know Cap used to have a black friend remember him. so captain america's best friends
2: are black people yeah and and caps and uh, falcon's girlfriend by the way does so much for race relations (laughs) including her in there they really showed the old white guy writing the hip young black lady dialogue (laughs) extraordinarily well
1: well it's like when you know the old old you know Whatever it was, 50 year old Jewish man writing the 15 year old high school kids <laughs> yeah. uh, dialogue. I, I just, I could never stop laughing anytime like they'd show a high school kid calling somebody boy chick.
2: <laughs> Do you ever get the impression that it's Officer Hopkins from Sanford and Son is writing all this dialogue
4: here? <laughs>
1: yeah, well, <laughs>
2: right arm. Hmm?
1: <laughs>
2: that's right on. <laughs>
1: Yeah, what, a, what, a, just I can't, I couldn't get over what, a, what, a, just what a bitch he was acting like. But I, I, to go back to Falcon, I think he was well handled later. You know, they really did develop him well when they basically gave him the mutant power, working with the bird, and uh, they in the in the recent run, the whole run with uh, in Captain America under on, on Brubaker, I thought he was pretty effectively used as a background character. That he, you know, he he would basically be a stealth guy, but he could also mix it up when he needed to. Yeah. Which is hard to believe a stealth guy wearing bright red and white. Who well, knows? yeah. Well, his, his original <laughs> costume was green and yellow.
3: Yeah. Also very Falcon-like, traditional.
2: <laughs>
3: traditional <laughs> Falcon colors.
2: Classic Falcon colors. <laughs> this it's also... Hmm? No, go ahead, Scott. I was just guessing this issue also comes, by the way, with an advertisement for the Evil Knievel figure. Which I think <laughs> is important for a couple of reasons. One, the removable swagger stick.
1: <laughs> yes. Love the swagger stick.
2: <laughs> yes. And two, just the the uh the sheer lunacy of evil Knievel as a personality is yes. just uh, I had I did not have the motorcycle, by the way, I had the Snake Canyon rocket ship. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, I. Mean,
3: the ad I liked was the uh, the Record Club of America. Yes. Any six LPs or five tapes, cartridge or cassette, for yep. $0.99. Cents. And, right. and what was right. funny is one of the eight tracks that they list here, they've got them running up and down each end of the page, is actually the Moody Blues Days of Future Past. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was funny to see in a Marvel book. Eh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> you know, I didn't even make that connection. No, I didn't either. <laughs> Skate early, but, you know, it's like... <laughs> Days nice, of Future Past, call. featuring Nights in White Satin, featuring the most pretentious piece of poetry ever put into a rock song. Yes. Breathe deep, the gathering gloom. Watch lights fade from every room. And I'll Kill spare. Kill my
2: landlord. Kill my landlord. No, <laughs> what's not what's
1: scary, scary is how many of us could cite that word for word, including, obviously,
2: <laughs> you and me. <laughs> But, you know, but I used it, to, it it is still horrible. <laughs> I I used to sit and read because they would do they would do these ads and Luke, you probably well, I guess if you have read back issues, you probably didn't have a lot of experience with these though. They would always do these record club ads in oh, the yeah. comics, and and I would go through there and say, okay, six LPs, can I find six I want? And I never could. No, I <laughs> almost always <at least laughs> could find which ones I would order. But
1: I I eventually I ordered them. I did order the records at one <laughs> did time. Did you? But did then you I never, never, but I never did. Uh, I never did live up to my commitment, so I started getting letters from a collection agency and stuff. <laughs>
2: ah, so what did, what did Spatero pick? Six LPs for $0.99. Cents. let's see. Uh, if, if I was Helen going... Helen Reddy? This, no. Helen Reddy, I Am Woman.
1: Uh, I would say Houses of the Holy. I would say Bette Midler, the Divine Miss M, definitely. <laughs> Not just right, beneath, right underneath that Steely Dan I would go for.
2: Sha-na-na, the Golden Age of Rock and Roll. <laughs> The power oh. of Joe Simon. <laughs> well, they, they got uh, they Mandrill here. Is that the guy
1: who fought Daredevil? Yeah. yeah. Mandrill. Yeah, he could make he could make women obey him. Right. And he looked like a monkey. Yeah, well, he looked like a like a baboon. Mandrill, didn't he? Oh, I guess he looked like a mandrill. Yes. Yeah, yes. Exactly. <laughs> Stephen E. <Edie> feeling. Yes.
3: <laughs> I, they have the soundtrack to Lost Horizon. <laughs> I don't know which version of and and Gilbert O'Sullivan back to front. Yes. All
2: right, I think I we found our has six. One
1: again, naturally on it.
2: <laughs> oh man, I think we figured it out. Mm-hmm. And the oh. Ooh, the other guy, Richard Harris's greatest performances, though, is also on there.
1: Does that have uh, MacArthur Park?
2: It's got... Well, what other performances are there?
1: None that I know of. <laughs> But
2: what a disappointment it would be to order it and find out it didn't have MacArthur Park. <laughs> but it did, I guarantee you, at some point contain a song that midway through would fade out, k-chunk, click to the next track, and fade back in. I never owned an 8-track player. Really?
1: Even though yeah. I was right in that age group that I should... Yeah. Oh, my. As I say, I have the
3: excuse of being born in 1980, so... My my wife had an eight track player, so she she's told me about that, and it's like it just it just I don't know just kind of boggles my mind a little bit. It's like most acts nowadays couldn't come up with eight songs to fit on an eight track that are worth listening to. So <laughs> at
1: least at least they, they had some kind of uh, you know something to shoot for.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I was on the cutting edge of CDs, though. I was the first person I knew who owned a CD player. Mm. Nice.
3: Yeah. I... I, I, I still buy CDs of of the you know, very few bands that I follow because I, I listen to music a lot in my car and, and the my MP3 player does the volume comes out so low you got to crank it up to, in order to to hear it. So yeah, just put uh,
2: headphones on. Cops don't care.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and uh I so I'm on a, a like a you know a, a list serve that, that they make fun of me mercilessly for buying CDs. I'm like new Mega CD out today. It's like you're a loser, Luke. I'm like yes I am, but you know what? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know you you can uh you could actually burn your own CDs off of iTunes. Yeah, that would require me to to know how to use iTunes. <laughs>
3: i I I I find the the uh you know and I when I went to when I was getting my degree in computer science I had a professor that always preached keep it simple, stupid and and uh the other thing was remember you can always code this as brute force and ignorance. So I, I tend to fall more into brute force and ignorance. Mm-hmm. Which is why I do a show about giant monsters. That's kind of, you know, my <laughs>
1: my level. Right. Can't argue with you. No, All right. I think we've, uh, we've probably hit the wall on Captain America, so to speak. So why don't we move on to book number two for today? Okay. Who's got our I have, DC?
2: I have, I have DC. And yet another book that I chose from the Jack McDevitt box.
1: Thank you, Jack McDevitt.
2: Yes. Jack McDevitt. By the way, since, uh, you know, since he's made this possible, we should plug his latest book, Starhawk. In bookstores everywhere and on Amazon.com, which you can get through the Two True Freaks website. How's that? Excellent. Nebula award-winning author Jack McDevitt. For those of you who don't know the story, Jack's a buddy of mine, and Jack knows I enjoy comics, and Jack occasionally goes and picks up comics. And uh, once, one day Jack said, I'm cleaning my house out. I'm getting rid of some stuff. I got a box of comics. You want them? And I said, Sure. And so when last time I was on back to the bins, I figured there'd probably be a good i volunteered to take DC because I figured there'd be a good Batman book in there because he loves Batman. But apparently some of these books were things his son had bought as well. And so I randomly reached in thinking I'd probably grab a decent Batman. And I the first dozen I pulled out were Punisher, <laughs> so, which is not Batman. Well, this time I reached in and grabbed one randomly and it was a Superman. But strangely enough, as we were recording on New Year's Day. It is a New Year's story. Yes. Adventures of Superman, number 474. It is called Face to Face with Yesterday. It is written and drawn by Dan Jurgens, inked by Art Thiebert. Is that how you say it?
3: I think so, because he okay. he just said Hawkman, and I was saying Art T-Bear, and apparently it's
1: Thiebert. It's I was for yeah, Art T-Bear Americans. also, but that doesn't mean I'm right, because I'm wrong often.
2: All right. Albert de Guzman did the lettering. Glenn Whitmore, world famous colorist, Glenn Whitmore. Mike Carlin was the editor, the assistant editor, Dan Thorsland, and a couple of guys named Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster were the creators of Superman, not their family's checkbooks would show that. Now, it is a dark and snowy night. Superman flies through the night to Lowell County Hospital. In the breeze, there's a newspaper, the small county bulletin fluttering as Superman zips by. Now, the paper's not just a random newspaper. Oh, no. It contains vital information. A, it lets you know it's a Smallville area newspaper, B, that it's New Year's Eve, and C, that there's recently been a big court decision made in a right-to-die case. Clark Kent strolls into the hospital's lobby and asks for Scott Brubaker's room. Another reason I'm glad we picked this up ep- at this issue because there needs to be one more Scott involved in the mix to confuse everybody. <laughs> Clark is given instructions as to how to get to Scott Brubaker's room. He walks off, but we stay behind with the nurses, one of whom recognizes Clark from an incident that happened over 10 years ago and is the reason why Scott Brubaker is in the hospital to this day. Clark is directed to the Brubaker's room, but it's a long way down the hall, so at that point he decides to have a flashback. It's football practice. And Pete Ross is struggling at running back. The coach brags on and then puts Clark in. Clark smashes through everybody, and this is really what Man of Steel. This is going to tick you off, Paul. This, <laughs> this is what Man of Steel should have been. Clark becoming a pro football player because it's about as true to the Superman mythos as that movie was, and far less depressing. Oh,
1: <laughs> uh, you know what? We could get into a debate over Man of Steel, but I don't think you. I think you're going to be late for your. Uh... To your job tomorrow morning. You're not not only are you not going to get to sleep, but the debate
2: will rage on past when you're supposed yes. to actually be at work. Yeah, it will just. I'll just flip the switch and we'll just we'll carry it on on the air. So we'll we'll, we'll just agree that uh, you didn't like Man of Steel and I did. No. Clark has one man to beat. It's Scott Brubaker, and no, he doesn't clock him and turn him into a vegetable. He actually lets Brubaker tackle him. Scott recognizes this and tells Kent he owes him not one. Fortunately. Clark's flashback ends right about the time he gets to Scott's hospital room, which is fortunate because you know how loud some of these flashbacks get. He introduces himself to Scott's parents who are sitting by Scott's bedside. They remember his name and give the reader the information that whatever it was that happened, it happened in Scott's car. And hopefully you kind of get it by now, you know, because otherwise Clark and Scott in Scott's car, something happened, Scott's still in the hospital, or basically what really would have happened to Lois in the Superman Returns continuity had they mated. Scott's parents Assume he's there for a story because he's a reporter, but he assures him a story is the last thing on his mind. In fact, the only thing on his mind right now is another flashback. We see Scott offering Clark and Pete a ride home in his implied Mustang sports car. I don't think it's actually a Mustang, but they give you the hint that maybe it's a Mustang. Scott is smoking, which tells us he's a rebel. He's a rule breaker. He's a lawless team. Either that or he's a radio salesperson.
1: He's got the long hair.
2: That's right. Long hair. Again, rebel. Uh, he offers but Pete, he also Pete has Clark. Scott written on his jacket. <laughs> well, sometimes he blacks out. When he wakes up, he's not real sure who he is.
1: It's kind so of jammed in there right by
2: the collar, too. It is. <laughs> well, at least he did not have a giant cursive L right there.
1: Well, actually, now that I'm looking, Clark has an, Clark has Clark in his jacket. <laughs> yeah, <And laughs> Pete has his as well.
2: Yeah, it's their Letterman Jackets. Uh, He offers Pete and Clark a ride. The two are hesitant because they don't run in the same crowd. Scott says he offered them the ride because he owes Clark for making him look so good at practice. They accept there's a bond formed, a bond that carries us into the next flashback. (laughs) It's New Year's Eve, and nerds Clark, Pete, and Lana have been invited to Scott's house for a big booze-soaked party. They make a repeated point, by the way, to tell you that everybody's 18, and at the time this was legal drinking age, so while this is plainly a story where they'll be preaching to you, they will not be preaching to you about underage drinking. <laughs> at the party.
1: Okay, just back to back to the jackets. Yes. Clark's, <laughs> Clark's S on his Smallville jacket. Yes. Kind of low. Like the, the, the name is way too high. It's up by the collar. And, and the S is down by, like, his pocket, down <laughs> down by his waist.
4: Yeah.
3: I think uh, we I, can I... safely bet that most people who are working in the comic book industry, we're not lettermen
1: in high school. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm guessing that's true, because I've never seen a letterman jacket that looks like this.
2: I'm trying to remember where I kept my letter now. I, I, but see, I didn't have my name in cursive across the front <laughs> like a bowling team. So <laughs> I think mine was a little higher, but, you know, I didn't I didn't have the whole name thing going. Okay. Sorry to keep interrupting. That's okay. No, I'm enjoying. Uh, Let's see. Everybody at the party gets peer pressured into boozing it up, but that doesn't seem to have much effect on Clark. It gets late. The nerdy kids need a ride home. They didn't think about this in advance. Enter Scott Prubaker and his implied Mustang. Clark offers to drive since he's the soberest and could break all of them with one gesture, but Scott says, nobody puts baby in a corner. No, nobody drives my Mustang or my maybe it's a Mustang, but me. So, they head down the road when Scott whips out the hard stuff. I'm referring to liquor. He passes the <laughs> I didn't want you to. Oh, God. Now people have wrecks for various reasons. <laughs> he passes the bottle around. Clark begins to wonder whether he should. He also begins to doubt Scott's ability to drive them. Scott's recklessness causes another car to crash, and no sooner than someone can pull up alongside them and yell, You're going the wrong way! You're going to kill someone! Anybody? Anybody? What's that from? Spins and automobiles. Thank you. Yeah. Scott and runs you you gotta do
1: the, uh, the little drink hand yeah. symbol for drinking right there. <laughs> oh, then, he's so.
2: drunk. How would he know where we're going?
1: Yeah, that's right. How would he know? <laughs> Thank you.
2: Good night.
1: <laughs> and now, Scott now runs- cue the mess around.
2: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Scott runs head on into a semi-truck which by the way that happened here uh, about a week and a half ago in the comic book they bounce off of it and hit a tree that's not what happens apparently when you get hit by a semi-truck just letting you know I'm not going to tell you what happens but it ain't pretty Uh, Clark is unhurt of course and he gets Pete and Lana out safely but Scott is in terrible shape While Scott's parents are absolving Clark of any blame in the incident, Jonathan and Martha are railing on him in this flashback. They're reminding him of just how responsible a person he needs to be. He explains to Scott's parents that that sense of responsibility learned through this incident is why he took up journalism. Of course, it's implied that it helped him become Superman as well, but hey, let's let subtext be subtext. He tells Scott goodbye as his parents prepare to pull the plug on him. See, Scott was the subject of the headline on the front page of the paper, and his parents have just won the legal right to let Scott die. On his way out of the hospital, Clark eyes a drunken reveler, insisting he's sober enough to drive home. And in the next shot, we see Superman flying away, and the reveler's tires have been melted. He's not going anywhere. It's New Year's Eve. Overall, heavy-handed, preachy, but it's a nice story, and it means something. You know, that that wasn't always the case in the 90s. Uh. Now I I will also, let me also say going into this, this is probably one of my favorite Superman eras for comics right before they killed him because they they had this really tight editorial control. You know, they had like three Superman titles and they added a fourth one and every week each title would pick up where the last one left off. Yep. And I thought that was just too cool. I loved going to the comic shop each week and going, all right, what's going to happen to Superman now? What's going to happen to Superman next? Uh, you just don't see that anymore, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, triangle, triangle numbers were a
3: great time. I, I read Superman yeah. at, at a little bit later than this, but still under the triangle numbers, and yeah, it was it was just it was fantastic because it was really like getting a weekly book. Yeah, Be- got to the point after he was they after reign of the reign of the Superman, they even added a fifth quarterly book to fill in the skip week. Ah, so there goodness. you got fifty-two issues a year. Of the five Superman books, and it told
2: one continuous tale. Yeah, I love that. I'm sure the writers didn't care for it, because they had to pick up where everybody else, you know, they couldn't do their own thing all the time. But as a reader, it was really, really nifty.
1: Not only could they not do their own thing, but they had to coordinate with each other. Yes. To try and lay it all out. And and I'm sure sure it's a much, much more difficult
2: job for the editor in that situation. Sure. But but I, I... I really enjoyed that approach. And bef- this was the second triangle issue. They actually were doing this for a while before that. And then suddenly they went, you know, we could help people keep track of this stuff. And we actually put numbers on them. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> work. Yeah. Uh, Dan Juergen's art in here. I think he knocks it out of the park. It's he's got a very John Byrne thing going on. He's got a Todd McFarlane thing happening. He's got a dash of Walt Simonson happening.
1: I think he's got a touch um, of Howard Shaken in him, too.
2: Well, I don't know if that's. I don't know if that's that or the inking. Yeah, not, yeah it I'm, might be. I'm not as in love with the inking because it is—it's like Art Thebert had one brush and it was a real fat brush.
1: <laughs> that's that's exactly what I was thinking. That it was, yeah. it was it was a little too heavy-handed on on the line work.
2: Yeah, and, and it, some
1: of the faces have that like extra line work, kind of that almost seems unnecessary.
2: It's like a cross-hatching, but it's too fat to actually make cross-hatching happen. In fact, there's there's also, if you look at page 8, panel 2, I'm sorry to say this, panel 2, Clark looks like he's in a minstrel show. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculously over-inked. And then the yep. next panel, he looks like he's on Let That Be Your Last Battlefield.
3: <laughs> that or, or paper at that one at WrestleMania 8. But... Uh, <laughs> Well, the thing with with with, with uh, T-Bird is that I I think he's th- this story is not well suited to his style. Mm. I, I I got familiar with his work when he was inking, as I said, he was inking Savage Hawkman with uh, Joe Bennett, and when they were working on that book, it was just just fights, not well wall to wall action, and so the heavier ink really worked well with that because a lot of it was at nighttime and there was a lot of you know f- uh, weapon play and you know fisty cuffs and all that. So this seems like out of kind of a a A mismatch in assignment, a little bit for him. I I do get a bit of that, the shake and vibe from some of the faces and and such. Mm -hmm. I I also want to say that this is a really kicking party that they go to because they're about to spin
1: Kiss Alive.
2: Well,
4: it's funny (laughs) you say that (laughs)
2: because I have something to say about that.
1: Really, you have something to say about Kiss? I never. Yeah, believe it
2: or not, (laughs) believe it or not, this was put out. This issue came out in 1990, and they say the incident happened over ten years ago. Kiss so what do you think came
1: out in 76
2: 75 75 okay close yeah. enough for the... november 75 all right oh it's right so... on the border <laughs> so this is what 1980 1979 what do you yeah. think 78 well what did They've the got... drinking age change what's that the drinking when... age drinking uh, age changed.
1: let's see when i was 18 which was in 1980 the drinking age was 18
2: yeah okay. it changed during the 80s cuz it happened when Reagan was president.
3: Okay. So you got, um, in 1980 the drinking age to me has always been 21. By the time I was old enough to know of such a thing it was 21. Yes.
2: So. <laughs> so you're figuring okay late 70s are they are the cool kids or the cool teenagers going to be playing Kiss Alive which I, again <laughs> well, I'm thankful to be playing they Saturday Night Fever. Well, <laughs> maybe they should have been. But how much well, I was okay. one of the cool kids and I listened to Kiss Alive <laughs> in 78 79. Yes. But wouldn't you have been listening to Alive Two at that point?
1: Uh I didn't like Alive Two. You
2: didn't like Alive Two? I'm not a
1: huge, huge Kiss fan like yourself, so I don't want to get ah. it. I can't debate quality with you because you're just a much bigger fan than I am. But uh I got into I actually got into Alive more based on peer pressure than anything else. Because at the mm. time that really wasn't my style of music. I was I've always been more of a Beatles man. Luke cover your ears for that. Uh. <laughs> but uh I, I got into Alive, and then I'm trying to remember. I guess the next one that I got into that I liked a lot was uh, Destroyer.
2: Okay, that was that was March. That was four or five months later.
1: And then I got really turned off when they did the four separate albums.
2: Okay, but between that, you got Alive Two.
1: Yeah, but I I just never got that into it. I don't know.
2: Okay, because Alive Two's I mean it's got you know Detroit. It's got half a Destroyer on it. Mm-hmm. But I like I the studio versions of Destroy about Better.
4: Mm.
2: Well, you know
3: what it could be also with this is that we don't see the guy taking the the, the record out of the, the sleeve. He could just be going through Scott's LPs.
2: <laughs> <laughs> just, just, hey, that's history. true. What the hell? What the oh the Doodletown Pipers, what is this? <laughs> Let's put these old guys on and see what this is. The Because uh, that's the other thing. I was thinking, you know, First off, you got a live two. And that cover actually looks more like a live two than a live one anyway. Anyway. <laughs> but to be honest with you, it, you know, these are the hip kids and it's maybe 1979. They probably would have had Dynasty. Because that's the one with I Was Made for Loving You on it.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: the kiss so I'm just saying. Song. The rich, fancy pants kids in 1979 probably would have rocked out to Dynasty at that point. But he also should have gotten the logo right. I'm a little disappointed in his rendition of the, of his rendering of the logo. <laughs>
1: I'm a little, I'm, I'm wondering if that's the anchor that did that or if, uh, you know, I'm, I'm wondering who, who felt the need to put kiss alive in there. I assume whoever it was either thought that was cool or liked it
2: himself. Well, 10 years ago, kiss was happening. Let's put it on there.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was it, now, mean, you'll get the guy wearing a, uh, the, the purple t-shirt that says party till you puke with purple <laughs> pants and, and white shoes and his girlfriend who was wearing a purple blouse with purple pants.
1: It's funny because that's what I was wearing last night for New Year's Eve. <laughs> party till you puke.
4: Well, I find that in
2: middle it. age people really appreciate such sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> If you're going to get into people's style choices, you can take a look at page nine and notice that Scott's mom is dressed like Little Orphan Annie.
4: Yeah. And
2: I'm not sure what that's all about.
3: <laughs> or Mrs. Claus. And, and what's up with the, the fourth member, this the Kyle, the guy who drove them, who we, who's, doesn't even get a last name? No. He's just there to, to drive them and then get drunk. He looks like he's wandered in from uh, like a Sam Keith-drawn issue of The Sandman.
1: That's exactly what I was... I wasn't thinking Sand Keith, but I was thinking Sandman.
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, he's going to stand in the back and talk in a, in a you know, a, a reversed colored word balloon and spout all sorts of uh, portentous, you know, uh, vor- verbose dialogue, and then he's just going to get drunk and no one's going to know what the hell he's talking about. So it's about like reading a Vertigo book when I was 11.
1: And <laughs> some of the facial renderings I'm just looking are inconsistent because there's some shots with, where Clark looks like a teenager. Yes, and there's other shots where he looks basically like Superman yeah that's, that's a flashback, Paul no, I'm talking <laughs> within the flashbacks. yeah i,
2: no.
1: I do i do understand <laughs>
2: that did you did you guys notice anything the did you guys notice the layout at all oh
3: the with the rounded edges on the
2: flashback well, the well, the flashbacks are it, but the whole, the entire book, and I found this interesting, the entire book is laid out the exact same way, yes. four widescreen panels on every single page.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. I do think the storytelling in it is very good. Yeah. As far as, you know, how, how it just, again, it's, you know, I, I hate to keep repeating myself all the time, but it's one of these things where you could, you could page through this without reading the dialogue and pretty much know what's going on.
2: Yeah. You know that uh, when Clark was a kid, before Clark was in a kid, he joined a minstrel show. And then as a kid, he went to a party where they were listening to Kiss Alive. And therefore, that's why he started putting makeup on.
1: Yeah, there you go. Now, Luke, you you mentioned about how, uh, you know, the Yanking and the Hawkman series and how it suited that better. The heavy line work in this one on page 16, I think, plays very well. Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah, that with the, with the, with the wreck.
1: Because I think it, of the subject matter and because of just, you know, the, the way it's – even even page 17 after that where, where you have, you know, people, whereas page yeah. 16 is just more scenes. Yeah. Uh, but I think the line work well, works well for that, and you could see where this style would go well for certain stories. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I, I, you know, Scott, you talk about the, the semi-truck hitting the car head-on and, mm-hmm. and it, it bouncing off. And yeah, that's physics doesn't work that way. I just want to say that. So where is this guy? What? Who is this guy moving? Who is his client that Jenkins Movers is out in the middle of the night on a a middle of a raging snowstorm?
2: On New Year's Eve.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's like we got to get stuff moved, man. Come on. (laughs) Or else. And uh and, and is it me and maybe it's me, but on both the cover and then the third panel of page sixteen, Scott looks like he has breasts. maybe he's just supposed to have like huge oh, wow. pecs. But you look, I mean he look I mean I looked at that cover, I thought it was a
2: chick. Are you so. saying that's not Lana? Actually uh. I, I thought it was a girl too. <laughs> you know, you know, no, but at least on the
1: cover, that's that person sitting in the driver's seat.
2: No, you're yeah. right. No, he's got the the jacket. No, it's uh yeah, I'm not sure what that. Rendi- I don't know what that is supposed to be. He's got the boobies. <laughs> He's,
3: uh, yeah, he, he need to have the the, the Samoan bitch tits surgery. You know.
1: <laughs> I mean, the cover and the picture on page 16 look almost. You know, I'm not. Pu- I can't put them side to side, but they look very, very similar. It almost looks like they reproduced the picture from one to the other.
2: Yeah, and it is him because I'm following the story, and the truck the truck driver gets out after Clark has already gotten everybody else that he cares about out. Yeah, I'll save that guy for. I know he's the most hurt, but we'll save him for later. I'm, got, not gonna, I'm
1: not saving him. He's got the boobies.
2: <laughs> and
3: what's odd is reading this. This this to me uh, read almost and again and. Uh, it's probably a good thing that, that Scott Gardner's not here because he probably kicked me off the network. This is like the first two acts of an episode of Smallville. And then this guy gets into this wreck and like instead of being trapped in the car, his body's thrown clear and he lands in a pool of kryptonite water and then he gets like car wreck powers for the last three acts of the episode. <laughs> you know, Right down to it being Clark and Lana and Pete going out to a party and they're the outcast nerds it's like if you, you swap out uh you put chloe in there and then it's you know smallville pretty much here mm. but again that's, i uh, that's uh, that that'll that'll you talk about
2: man of steel that'll raise the ire of some folks just mentioning smallville so i'll just, I'll just well, move I, little... <laughs> you know my thing about smallville i honestly i have like the first five seasons on dvd i've never opened them i'm going to watch it all one day but I, what happened with me is I watched the pilot and I went, hey, this isn't bad. And then about five episodes in, when it, it, every week was a kryptonite kryptonite mutant yeah. of the week, I kind of went, all right, I'm done. It it gets better. That's what I keep hearing. I just haven't yeah. had a chance to and, watch
1: and it. And I, I was good with it until the end of season five, actually. So if that's what you have, I would recommend <laughs> watching it all. I've uh, I only a series, so i am kind of
3: swallowed the hook on that, but. You know. I
1: stayed with it until season nine, and then by then I just kind of, it kind of petered out for me. Well, but, but issue five, uh, uh, issue five episode, season five, excuse <laughs> me, was where it kind of lost its luster for me at the end of season five.
2: Hmm. Well, I'll let you, when I finally get around to it, I, you know, I've had the last week off and i and I've literally just been running morning noon night and all my sleep time for the last three or four months so i took the last week to just sit back and relax and do almost nothing and i'd caught up on a lot of reading but very little tv watching so yeah, I, no, you you ruin your mind that way dude yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i did I, believe me i'm very up to date on star wars comics at this point
1: <laughs> i am more up to date than i want to be
2: behind on those
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm finding myself reading modern stuff less and less and less so what can i I'll
2: tell you one of the best investments i've ever made is marvel unlimited
1: one of my friends just signed up for that
2: it is fantastic you know i got it for free you know they shot x-men part of x-men first class down here and so when they when it premiered, I wanted to have the radio stations out there and do a big deal and do a prize pack. And I contacted Marvel about it and said, hey, can you guys give us some of these to give away? No, we can't do that. There's not enough lead time. But if you'd like to try it for a month for free, we'll let you. <laughs> so I did and got hooked. And I read probably 100, 120, 125 comics that first month just on that service.
4: Right. I'm, I'm
2: told it's about
1: five months behind what's on the uh, – Yeah, it's the, not the a the bad new, new lack. Rack.
2: They hold just enough out so that it kind of pisses you off, and you got to buy one or two if you, you want to read everything. Like they'll, that really they'll have
1: would a, piss me off, though.
2: They did. They, there was a series that Straczynski did called The Twelve. It is a 12-issue series and then a 13th-issue wrap-up, and they had one through 11 and the wrap-up. Oh, that would piss me off. That really did, because I didn't know. I got, they said, we've got 12 issues. And I said, okay, it's a 12-issue mini. Here we go. <laughs> and got to 11 and went, oh. It's like,
1: we've finally convinced you that we, what is it? It's about like $65 for a year, something like that.
2: It's 69 now. Yeah. Okay.
1: So we've come up with a price that we think is fairly reasonable Mm
4: -hmm.
1: and that, you know, you you could afford to pay that for a year, but just to make sure that you're not too happy, (laughs) let's leave some things out so that you'll pirate it.
2: (laughs) And then you you realize,
1: why should I spend that $69 a year?
2: That service was why I went out and finally got a tablet, because I had that service. And do you know how hard it is trying to take a laptop in the tub? (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) Because I'm trying to read it, (laughs) and I can only have this laptop. And I'm trying to—I read in the tub, and (laughs) I'm trying to take the laptop in there with me.
3: All, All I'm thinking of there there is a there is a movie. From like 1974, a Bigfoot movie called Shriek of the Mutilated that has a scene (laughs) where a girl grabs a toaster in the kitchen and takes it all the way down the hallway to electrocute the guy in the bathtub. And (laughs) she's got quite the extension cord. A a huge extension cord on your toaster, which you usually need. I know I make toast over the house, you know. So that's all I could think of. You as electrocuting (laughs)
1: yourself by accident with the laptop (laughs) that's plugged into the wall. (laughs) I generally but, find that I make toast in the tub.
2: <laughs> I actually make it with my laptop, so I'm not sure but i went I, I went and got an iPad, and I thought, well, this is it, I'll just do this and I'll have the marble thing. And I got it, and they didn't have an app, and it was flash based so you couldn't use it on an iPad. Yeah, so I was fear I was like, I just wasted seven hundred dollars on this so but if <laughs> I found a couple of other uses for it, thank goodness it
3: makes a real good
2: paperweight yeah but th- now they've got an app so i'm very happy and now i never use the marvel unlimited but when i do i think it's great
4: mm.
2: <laughs> and I, I, it fits in the tub it fits in the tub yeah this i, I show like it pro- brought to
3: you by marvel unlimited <laughs> you know, as, as we talk about a dc book i i love on the cover soups is you know superman's ga- uh, ghostly image is in the background and again, it, it I guess it's supposed to be regret, but it looks almost like, "Who, man, good thing I dodged that." <laughs> it could have hurt if I wasn't a, a super powered, invincible
2: alien. It's you know, when I look at that, I actually see the same look I get when my son's doing something really stupid. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and it, this, it should be a little weightier than that. Mm. Although the stars kind of combine, there's kind of a star field. you know, he's kind of transparent. And it almost yeah. makes him look like he's got scales on his chest.
3: Yeah, kind of like or Captain America's, you know, yeah. chain under his shirt.
2: Nail.
4: <laughs>
2: hmm. I thought it was a good
3: issue. I, I'm, I, I, you know, again, growing up in the 80s, I, I just, I just had a discussion with this uh, very topic with Sean Engel because he's been reading a couple of like PSA style Green Lantern books all came out in a row apparently, and um, you know, I grew up in the 80s, I love PSAs. I love them to death, and and if they can show somebody smashing up their car in an ironic way, you know that's that's just the bee's knees to me, and uh, so I, I I don't have a problem with PSA uh, comics, and I like that they actually take the time to show the wreck in an ironic way. So uh, you know, this needing to be a little tag, you know, brought to you by the National Ad Council, right?
2: Yeah. that'd be perfect. Uh, Although, if, speaking of irony, they could have been listening to Detroit Rock City
1: right before <laughs> the. <start. laughs> <laughs> or Just maybe to bring paradise by yes, the yeah. dashboard lights
2: yeah. well, <laughs> which would also be in that era yeah true but detroit rock city is about a drunk driving crash and
1: yeah <laughs> yeah but paradise by the dashboard lights is
2: about something much better in the car well that's and that may have been i mean that you know that before they tell you what it is you could almost draw that conclusion
4: mm-hmm. well
2: you well you know what they say two out of three ain't
3: bad so
2: Wow. See, I'm trying to steer it back to Kiss, and you keep sticking it on meatloaf.
3: Well, you have to excuse me. I literally ate meatloaf for lunch today.
1: <laughs> Ew.
2: I had leftover meatloaf, yes. It was delicious. I think that's the only <laughs> kind of meatloaf there is. <laughs> yeah, meatloaf, there
1: is no fresh meatloaf.
2: <laughs> so it's all leftovers. Yeah. It's all rehashed and warmed over, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> When I was in college, I remember Burger King came out with the meatloaf sandwich and I went, well, people stay – people go out to eat because they don't want meatloaf. (laughs) I have to convince my wife
3: to make meatloaf. I love meatloaf, but (laughs) –
4: All
1: right.
2: I think I've exhausted <laughs> this book. I think I think we've uh, the book has exhausted us. We've
1: All gone right? on enough on enough tangents with this one at this point. <laughs> maybe it's time for our independent and we have kind of a different independent this time. Yeah, yes. you know, we have uh we have a very straightforward
3: uh Bronze Age Captain America book for Marvel. We had a very serious very uh st- um, you know, staid uh, Superman book for DC. So keeping with that trend I really wanted something with some weight to it, so I have from Gold Key, uh, Huckleberry Hound number 36, uh, which was <laughs> released on November 1st, 1968, with a cover price of 15 cents. The only credited creators are William Hanna and Joseph Barbera. There are no, credit, uh, no creators anywhere that I could find online or in the book itself.
2: You couldn't find them online? No, I'm on
3: Mike's Amazing World. It doesn't even have. I gotta submit this information to Mike because I have all the stories now. It just says I've got the publisher, cover date, on sale date. Nothing else. That's all we. Can. <laughs> uh- yeah, the uh, you know the Hanna Barbera were, were the kings of doing things as cheaply and quickly as possible, and apparently that also translated over to Gold Key doing their comics. So, um, our cover is a very simple cover. It's a yellow background with Mister Huckleberry Hound riding a unicycle with his arms folded across his chest. Sitting on his tail are Pixie and uh, Dixie, everyone's favorite duo of mice. Unfortunately, Mister Jinx nowhere to be seen. Uh, it's like a good Hanna-Barbera cartoon. This is broken up into several stories, which we'll take a look at. The first stars Huckleberry Hound and is called Hawaii Bound Hound. And H- Huckleberry Hound is going is riding on a boat and he is going on vacation in Hawaii. Now, why he's not flying, I I don't know. But you know, anyway, he's on the boat. And uh, there's this really bad fog, and the captain has dropped everybody off at the pier, and instead of being in Hawaii, they're on some unknown South Pacific island surrounded by cannibals in grass skirts. Now Huckleberry Hound kind of plays this by ear and thinks it's just part of the show until they take him, a professor, or another tourist and throw them into big iron pots and start chopping up vegetables to cook them with, reminding me of the old editor-in-chief joke. Uh, So Huckleberry Hound tries to reason with the cannibals as to why they're cooking them, saying, don't eat us, we're just friendly tourists on vacation. And the chief, who's wearing a crown that makes him look kind of like Jughead Jones, says, there's an old lion that prevents us from leaving camp to hunt game, so they're all plenty hungry. So Huckleberry Hound agrees to take a spear and go out into the bush to hunt the lion. Well, the lion proves to be a cunning beast and uh, constantly thwarts Huckleberry's attempts, including taking his spear and throwing it back at him. Huckleberry Hound then attempts to escape by using a felled log to make it canoe, but the log is petrified wood and it sinks. And uh, after being tossed around by the lion a bit more, they find out that he doesn't like rain, so he rigs a contraption made of one of the iron pots over the lion's cave and dumps water in it to make the lion think it's raining. Telling his success to the chief, and now that the line is gone, the wild boars come running out of the, out of the bush and scare them all away. To which Huckleberry Hound simply swims away all the way to Hawaii. Uh, th- this one, to me, really plays like an epis, like a, a segment of Huckleberry Hound from the cartoon. It's about the right length, the right number of gags. You know, all the um, the funny animal shows from Hanna Barbera were thirty minutes in length, but they had three features, so it'd be about seven minutes a feature. And this could definitely, I could see this definitely as a seven-minute Huckleberry Hound
1: feature. I, w- I would agree with that. I, I, it definitely has the feel of, of a real Huckleberry Hound cartoon, for better or
3: for worse. So, yeah. <laughs> it, I think it does depend on what one's opinion of Hanna-Barbera funny
2: animals in general. Well, I first off, I want to point out that this is, mine was the only book of the three where somebody doesn't start throwing spears. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you got a point and uh, <laughs> I, I, if you I, remember, I gotta say in, in very very different ways Luke's book and my book both did their share of hurting race relations yes
2: yes because <laughs> when Layla well never mind I mean I, you can't <laughs> even use the term you would use because it doesn't sound yeah. right no but <laughs> Uh, let me ask the obvious question. You guys have already thought of this, I guess. I'm assuming. If these guys are cannibals and Huckleberry Hound is a dog, <laughs> what does he care? <laughs> hey, go ahead and eat them.
4: <laughs> I'm fine.
3: Jay, <laughs> Mr. Cannibal. I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, it's the old trope about funny animals. Nobody is... Uh, nobody is taken aback by the fact that this dog from the deep south, wearing a bow tie, is walking on his hind legs in his bright blue. Nobody, that doesn't bother anyone.
1: And a yeah. uh,
3: pork pie hat. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah, much like Heisenberg like from
1: Breaking Bad. <laughs>
3: <laughs> now I, now I'm imagining Huckleberry Hound as 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 uh, Doctor White, and that would be awesome.
1: Making making I, crystal meth for yeah. uh, Pixie and Dixie.
2: I, I did appreciate the fact that the chief is speaking in grunts and groans, but yet there's a, another tribe member with a bowler yeah. <laughs> who speaks perfect Queen's English.
4: I thought that was it's hilarious.
1: Like, yeah, like the Go-Go-Gophers. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not Hanna-Barbera. I Don't recall what studio did uh, Underdog. Um, who did
3: Underdog? That's a good question. But that wasn't Lance, was it? No. No, that's uh, that's what he would Woodpecker. Yeah, that's uh I, yeah, the the guy speaking the the Kings that that's another a typical Hanna Barbera style joke. You know, uh I, just for the for Christmas season I watched, you know, the a uh, Flintstone's Christmas Carol, which frankly raises more questions than it answers. Uh such as, you know, if you're living in the time B C, how can you have Christmas? <laughs> But in a lot of ways, it's the perfect Hanna Barbera production because they, they, it's it's a story that they don't have to do. It's not an original story; it's a story that's already been told, and you're all familiar with it. And then we just put the Flintstones in it, and and that's kind of what we get here. You know, the, it's just plug and play with characters, and yeah. and we see that with you know the the other features as as well in the book. And it's I, I just love it. I, I got this book actually for free at Heroes Con a couple of years ago. Nice. A guy who was at booth. He has a big pile says, free comics. I'm like free comics. <laughs> fuck yeah, and uh, so I just, I just grabbed up, I pretty much grabbed the entire pile, and as I get there's a Huckleberry Hound in there, I'm like, sweet, I love Huckleberry Hound. And, uh, you know, I, I lost some cool points with my friends, but then again, I'm at Heroes Con. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, you know. I didn't I, have the con at least.
2: <laughs> I gotta tell you, though, tonally it is, as you mentioned earlier, tonally it's in line, and, and the gags and the pacing, it's it, a lot of the times here's what I remember. I remember buying Gold Key Roadrunner comics. And the Roadrunner is having conversations with his kids. Yeah. And I'm going what? the Roadrunner doesn't speak English. What the hell is wrong with you people? So, <laughs> you know, a lot, a lot of the times they wouldn't do things maybe that were consistent that wouldn't play like they did on TV and that's so I actually had appreciation for this cuz it, it it did play like it would have on TV. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, oh, definitely. But it, and and generally, like exactly like your experience, mine is when I would read a Hanna Barbera comic book. It didn't feel like watching the shows usually. No, my for, for whatever reason, my most vivid memory was a a copy of the Flintstones comic book, and the story was that it was Barney's birthday, and he thought everybody forgot, but they were throwing a surprise birthday party, and the thing that stood out to me for whatever reason was it said it was his 40th birthday. Whoa. And at the time that I read it, I was like, my God, that's ancient. (laughs) (laughs) How could, how could he have a child as young as Bam Bam if he's 40? Well, remember that Bam Bam is not Betty and Barney's biological. I know, I know. Yeah, no, they, they bought him on the black market. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
3: And then they sent him back because he's a destructive psychopath, but. Oh.
1: <laughs> but it still, little... he, they were still the right age to to be yeah. having children because Fred and uh, Wilma had just had pebbles.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, yep. and Bam Bam, they bought off of what, Rock Bay? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, unlike Bonnie, Fred's, uh, Fred's boys were swimmers. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Bonnie had the low T. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I just, I, I remember it standing out in my mind because I was probably, I don't know, seven, eight years old and reading that he was 40 and it just seemed so ancient to me at the time. Yeah. Mm. Uh, all
3: right, well, uh, we've got a next feature in here is called Dr. Doggy and despite the title does not feature Augie Doggy and Doggy Daddy, which would have been a welcome addition. I love Augie Doggy and Doggy Daddy. Uh, but Huckleberry Hound goes to a toy store and boy buys a toy doctor kit for his nephew, whom we've never met before and will probably never see again. But when he walks outside, a brick falls on his head, clunking him on the head, giving him amnesia and making him think, well, doggone it, I am a doctor. So he's walking down the street, and a couple of uh, shady looking characters hustle him into a room and they want him to treat their friend who's dizzy. And so Huckleberry tries to treat his friend with the toy. Uh, doctor equipment, including a stethoscope that doesn't actually work, and he says, your chum's tech or isn't takin." And so the guy gets so freaked out that he has no heartbeat, that he dives under the table and pulls the loot that he had hid under the rug, because these guys are bank robbers, and clunks his head on the coffee table, which is what gave him the dizzy spell in the first place. The other uh, bank robber, who looks like Buttons McBoom Boom from the TV show Cops, punches uh, Huckleberry out the window, trying to hit his friend, It gives Huck back his memory and then a cop walking by who is most likely not Officer Dibble from Top Cat because he actually has a gun (laughs) uh, arrests the two bank robbers. And then Huckleberry takes the doctor's kit to his nephew who is a miniaturized version of Huckleberry Hound wearing a ball cap who thanks him for not only getting him the doctor's kit but a whole bunch of injuries to practice on. Uh, I I think it's a, a comic and cartoon law that all characters have to have nephews or nieces. That look that exactly makes, like them? Of themselves, yes. I mean, Donald Duck has them, Mickey Mouse has them, and right now, apparently, Huckleberry Hound has one. So, I, and we, I, the fact that Huckleberry Hound has to have a brother or sister is also a
2: little strange to me. I, I would feel less comfortable if Huckleberry Hound had a nephew that didn't look like him.
3: <laughs> well, that means that, his, that whoever his brother or sister married either also looks like them or their genes are so dominant. Strong,
1: strong. Yeah. yeah. Or, strong genes. Or perhaps Huckleberry was doing the nasty
4: with, no. his, with his
1: brother's wife. No!
2: Maybe that's not really a nephew. Maybe that's why he's so concerned about getting him a present. <laughs> I will not have you guys
1: badmouth Huckleberry Hound on this show. <laughs> I, we don't know his brother or his brother's wife. We may not be badmouthing him
2: by saying that. It may have been a purely voluntary arrangement.
3: That's that's true. That's true. Could be like a right.
1: William, uh, you know, William Molston type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and for anybody who doesn't know what that means, look it up. <laughs> look it up. <laughs> I think we talked about that three episodes ago.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh yeah, he—he he was, you know that. There's
3: a—he's all—he was all messed up. I got a—I've got a, a really handsome um, volume
1: of the history of Wonder Woman for my. Wife oh, and... you just gave it away. Ah, I was letting them all look it up, and you had to tell them. Go ahead, keep going. Fix, fix it in post. No, no, I'm leaving it in. <laughs>
3: fix it in post. You'd—you'd you'd be amazed the number of times we say that on an episode of the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror.
1: Just to, to fix it in fix it post. Uh, I, I find few, uh, just to, to go off on that tangent for a second. I find it amusing when I'm editing it, <laughs> and either Scott or Bill say you're going to edit this out.
2: And not only do I leave it in the episode, but I leave them telling me to edit it out in the episode. <laughs> do the same thing to Ryan on ours. Yep. Yeah. Ryan constantly goes, uh, "You're going to take that out, aren't you?" Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> I'm at the point
3: now where I don't even edit out my cell phone ringing on Earth Destruction Directive anymore. <laughs> I got a call. How yeah, the hell with it? <laughs> All
1: right, so uh, William Molston.
3: Yeah, William Molston. There you go. Um, <laughs> our, our next feature in the book features Yakky Doodle. And for those who may not know, Yakky Doodle was a small, obnoxious duck. And we're not going to be covering that because Yakky Doodle was a small obnoxious duck and uh it's it's actually a little strange here because Yakky doodle was not one of the features on huckleberry hound's tv show Yakky doodle was a backup feature on yogi bears show uh huckleberry hound when it debuted in 1960 i believe uh his backups were uh yogi bear And Pixie and Dixie and Mr. Jinx. When Yogi Bear became real popular and was spun out onto his own show, his segments were replaced with Hokey Wolf. When Hokey Wolf and uh, such and such were very similar to Yogi and Boo Boo. But Yaki Doodle's never really done it for me. I'm mostly familiar with him from his appearances on, like, uh, Yogi's Gang and Yogi's Treasure Hunt. And even then, he's kind of a a background character. So we're going to skip over that. Not on the Great R. Clark Great, yeah, you, well, yes, Yogi's Yogi's Gang came out of Yogi's Ark Lark. Yogi's Ark Lark was, uh, was the movie, and then Yogi's Gang was the TV show based on that, where they're flying around and they're
1: On fly- their way to the perfect place? Find the perfect place, a perfect place. Yeah, uh, it wouldn't really be an episode if somebody didn't break into the song. As long as it's not me, we're good. What I, what I like about Yogi's uh, Yogi's
3: gang is that they, they just feature everybody on that, and uh, and they run into guys like Mister Bigot. I mean, it's like it's a little on the nose. It's like it's like uh, you know, like Chris would call a Spidey Stupid Story level of villainy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but hey, they they were trying, you know. I mean, after Laugh of Munich, you know, you, you had to go someplace. But
2: ah, but... <laughs> what <laughs> are you <laughs> doing, to me? me? They're all
3: gone, even! Oh! <laughs> oh, we're not supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> uh. Snagglepuss. You can always laugh at snagglepuss. <laughs> I mean, uh, what about on the nose. He's a pink lion who lives in a cave and is always worried about how decorated it is and is trying to make it look nicer and then talks constantly in theater lingo. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yes. come on. <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: Alright, our last feature stars Huckleberry Hound is called Rugged Rover. And at a city auction, Huckleberry Hound gets involved in bidding on a pirate-type chest. They have no idea what's in it. And he wins it for $150, uh, some kind of denomination. They don't say what. So Huckleberry takes the chest and runs home, opens it up, and finds an old carpet. And he thinks, this thing should go to the dump. And the carpet takes off flying, and it's a flying carpet, and it flies all the way to the dump. So puck drives in his uh red convertible out there and tells the um uh, tells the magic carpet now fly around town oh rug so the flying oh, but car wait around wait. oh
2: yeah he, he gives to... the kiss off he gives the kiss off to his convertible which gives him a <laughs> dirty look <laughs> yes
3: <laughs> farewell old groundhog this pup is going to fly from now on can you see that look the car is yeah. shooting him <laughs> Uh you know isn't it? There's, there's uh Hell Hath No Fury like a convertible scorn.
2: Christine?
3: Yeah, pretty much. It it is a red convertible. It could be a 58 Fury, you never know. Yeah. This so was Keith re- Gordon. <laughs> In the role of Huckleberry Hound, Keith Gordon. <laughs> so Huckleberry flies through town but flying carpets being rare, everybody starts yelling at them. Uh, there's one guy yells, Police! There's a prowler outside my penthouse. And then I love this guy yelling, Go back to Mars. Go back to Mars.
2: And then That's someone... how we would treat the first contact, by the way. <laughs> Go back to Mars! <laughs> they took our jabs!
1: <laughs> I know if I see a Martian, what I'm doing is I'm throwing an anvil at him.
2: An <laughs> anvil at him. Yeah, that's
1: right. I love we, we take a hard left into Warner Brothers cartoons there as somebody
3: flings an anvil. Now, who exactly has the strength (laughs) to put an
2: anvil at somebody? It's
1: it's Adamant. That's who. Scat! I'm gonna get you, Scat. (laughs) Who's got the strength? Who else? Back to the bins. Yeah, Arnold. (laughs) Come on, get out of here.
3: Go back to Mars.
2: (laughs) There's a flying dog out there. Go back to Mars. We'll give you air.
3: Uh, so Huckleberry Hound flies a bit higher, and then the Air Force buzzes him, and uh, because the story hasn't, hasn't gotten strange enough, he lands in the woods and is met by a witch, who ties him up and takes him back to her, of course, candy-shaped house. Now the witch has the intention of taking a basket of candy and sending it into town to lure people out so that she can uh, bring them here to catch children to eat. So she throws Huckleberry Hound in the candy house and watches as his carpet is sent off to town. Now the carpet lands and we don't see who it's luring but it seems to be luring a pair of folks onto itself with its basket full of cookies and candy canes and they fly off. Back at the candy house Huckleberry Hound attempts to get a knife to cut his ropes. Instead gets the witch's spell book and falls on his lap and he reads up and uh, when uh, the carpet comes back the witch runs inside But there's nobody on it, and but she hears voices. So she gets scared of the flying carpet with talk that's talking without people on it and runs into Huckleberry Hound, who kisses her on the nose. And he read in her black witchcraft manual that it will make a witch disappear. So, cutting himself free, he runs out and finds who's in the picnic basket? No, not Yogi and Boo Boo. It's Pixie and Dixie. And uh, Pixie and Dixie says, Yo, fowlers, can eat yourself silly hair. It's all yours now. And so. Pixie and Dixie run off to gorge themselves stupid on her candy house, and uh, Huckleberry Hound sees the fighter jet that buzzed him earlier, and is reminded of something he saw at the dump. So he flies back to the city dump, and there happens to be (laughs) fuselage of an airplane. And well, where
2: else would you put it?
3: (laughs) Clearly, (laughs) you put it to the dump. I mean, yeah, I I love that it also has patches on it, like it's made of fabric.
2: And, uh, I so, have this fuselage in the garage. Might f- maybe get rid of it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and so he he tacks the uh, carpet underneath the fuselage to look like wings, and says nobody stops to look twice at me now. If they did, they might notice my loom made wings even have fringe on them. <laughs> and that's the end. And then we get Gold Key educating us on the of the supplemental topic which is on the ankylosaurus because Huckleberry Hound and you know, armored vegetarian dinosaurs go hand in hand
2: so. now I assume this is to satisfy the legal requirement that if they're going to ship it through the mail it had to have X number of pages of text yes Probably. I'm going to bet that Gold Key and Charlton were awesome for doing that as a matter yes. of fact
1: it was a matter to get the magazine shipping rate
2: yes yes and <laughs> have text pages
1: yeah, and well, and th- I, there's a and and you look at it. There's not a hell of a lot of text there either. Oh no, <laughs> no, it's, 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 I'm sure it's whatever the minimum is. <laughs> Out
2: of the words, so, 173 words. You got it. <laughs> I
3: do like the ad on the next page that shows um all of the gold key at the time. There like cartoon funny books, and we've got Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, Tom and Jerry. Bugs Bunny, Woody Woodpecker, the Flintstones, Little Lulu, uh, the Roadrunner. Um, you know, it, it's just great that they had all these different properties at the time. And, of course, these would eventually go over to Dell, and then they'd go at various places. Uh, this this last feature, this is just bizarre. I mean, this is clear. This is, again, I, I suppose I could see this as a
1: seven-minute short, but usually they weren't that creative. Uh, <laughs> of the three, this is the one I see least Mm-mm. in my head as a, as a short.
4: No. Well,
3: that has Pixie and Dixie in it also helps. They they rarely crossed... Once the characters had their own feature, it was rare that they'd cross them over on their shorts. They'd wait for their all-star movies and, and, and specials where they'd cross everybody over.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: But you even know, just the pacing of it and everything, it didn't feel the same way. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to put my finger on exactly why, but it just didn't have that feel that it would have translated to a, an animated feature the same way.
2: Yeah. No, I appreciate that the Air Force is flying paper airplanes nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> hey, budget cuts, man. You know, you yeah, do I it. Guess...
4: You know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I thought Gary Busey gave a riveting performance as The Witch. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, very good. But yeah, it's just it's just too weird, even for them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> it, and yeah, if your if your Hanna Barbera
3: cartoon book is too weird,
4: you yeah, know,
3: you've kind of you've kind of crossed a Rubicon almost, you know. <laughs> I I like I said I, I really enjoyed this. Uh, you might have guessed that I'm a Hanna Barbera fan, especially the funny animals. So I really like this. They you know they they did Huckleberry Hound ran for a number of years. Top Cat ran for um, for more issues than I think aired actual episodes cuz Top Cat only ran 1 year and I think it ran for like 50 issues or something. And I, top, I was a big fan of the TV series Top Cat. Yeah. I love, Ch- Cat's a, a great show. And uh, I, I can't do a real good top cat, otherwise I'd break that out. My favorite top cat line of
1: all time is, Sick mother, the only sick mother you care for, runs on a wet track in Pimlico. Well, he, the- he always had the Phil Silvers sound to him. Come on, come on, what yeah. are you doing? Let's go. I can't do it either, but, you know. <laughs> come on, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm You're turning it, it into into Phil Silvers as Arnold. <laughs> come on. <laughs> I, I can do an OK Benny the ball.
3: OK, TC, whatever I- you like. I always liked Benny or the Brain. Uh, I don't know, TC. Spook was always my favorite because Spook was the beatnik. Yeah, he was the cool one. Yeah, it's like uh, money, like uh, currency, even. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
4: they
3: they actually just released um, back in twenty. It was it was released in twenty eleven. It was released in the U in the U S in twenty twelve. A Top Cat feature. Which was actually made by in Mexico. There's a Mexican animation studio that got the rights to do a Top Cat feature, and um, it's it's exactly what you'd expect from a Top Cat feature film. But it is it, it which is to say it's it's Top Cat and the gang trying to pull schemes on people. So it, it's, it's it's I think it's worth in Cancun. <laughs> watching. <laughs> that would have been awesome, but no, it's not. And, and them in them at an all inclusive resort that that'd been great, man. Why didn't you write this movie, Paul? <laughs> if only.
1: <You> know, <laughs> if anybody works for any of those studios and wants to give me a call, I am available.
3: But yeah, I mean, I, I really like this comic personally. I had a lot of fun with it. This, this one sits... I've got a box sitting in my bedroom of kids' comics for for my uh for my kids appropriately and uh so this one sits in there for them to flip through whenever they come in the room so they don't you know uh, grab an issue of hundred bullets or something instead so uh, <laughs> I, I really liked it i i thought it was fun the, these are these mm-hmm. are surprisingly hard to come by uh i mean i you see on ebay issues of huckleberry hound or yogi bear or top cat going for five seven dollars ten dollars a piece so I guess if you can find them in 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 rough shape like this one that I got, you might get them cheap. But they're they're you know worth picking up if you find them if you like this sort of thing.
1: I did not know about the uh, the the prices on them. I figured it would be easy. You know, I, f- I figured these are the kind of things you'd find in the uh, you know the fifty cent boxes.
2: Yeah, I used to have tons of these yeah. types of comics when I was a kid because you'd get you know you'd go to the store. And that's what your mom thought you wanted when you <laughs> wanted Iron Man. <laughs> so well it's a com. it's a funny book I you get him a funny book and you buy the the three pack of these yeah and there'd be a road runner and somebody else and you know so that's that's where i'd get a lot of this stuff is i'd get a lot of three packs from the store
3: yeah i think a lot of these probably just ended up real. you know being thrown out and not probably not missed the way that you hear stories about comics being thrown. I was like, oh no, it's like my complete run of Amazing Spider-Man. My mom threw it out, you know.
1: My complete <laughs> run of Huckleberry Hound. <laughs> <laughs> oh! Oh, oh! my Huckleberry Hound comics. Well, when, back, <laughs> way back when, when I started collecting comics, my dad insisted that he did have a copy of Action Comics number one as a, as a young boy that his mom threw away. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if that's... You know, if that's just in his mind, he decided he had it, or if he really did. <laughs> you know, well, he that's... would have been in the right age group. Yeah, yeah. Well,
3: mm-hmm. it's like my, my my very good friend Bob. His dad told him for years that um, that uh, that Bob's grandfather was in King Kong, but had his scene cut. That he was <laughs> the policeman that yelled, "Come on down, Kong! We know you're up there." But uh... <laughs> so you never can tell, you. <laughs> <laughs> and the old man's just screwing with you
2: We know you're up there
4: <laughs> that's my,
2: my dad and my brother spent years telling me That the pilot episode of Star Trek Had them launching the Enterprise from a giant slingshot <laughs> so, that's And that's what I believed until many years later When I found out there really wasn't an episode where they launched it <laughs> Sometimes right. they just lie to kids.
1: <laughs> Sometimes they lie because it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Get be careful what you lie about.
3: You know, what yes. was it? We, uh Oh, I we we I forget we 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 made some joke with my oldest son. He got real upset over like no no it's that's not real. It's like no buddy, just calm down. <laughs> read, read my read daddy's Huckleberry Hound comic. There you go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Back to the Bins is produced in association with the 2 True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www2 and is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at ComicBookNoise.com League, And also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.